0: that you can use to train your feet for life. For more information about the movement sessions, the food, the center, head to my website, slash retreat. That's slash retreat.
1: Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30 day free trial at slash move your DNA with Katie Bowman. There are over 180,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player.
0: Happy summer, friends! This is the Move Your DNA podcast with Katie Bowman. I am Katie Bowman, biomechanist and author of Move Your DNA and a bunch of other books about movement. And speaking of my other books about movement, this summer on the podcast, I'm going to do something many of you have been asking me to do for years— I'm going to read Alignment Matters to you. No, not the entire thing. I'm not making an audiobook, but over the next few episodes from now until the end of August, I'm going to be reading you some of my favorite essays from Alignment Matters, talk about them, the connections between them, chime in on my own writings, give you some behind the scenes as I feel like it. So I am for everyone doing more of their own work, but this summer, let me do the heavy lifting of this most massive of my books. And free up your arms or eyes from holding my book, leaving you free to dig in the garden, walk or move to do your errands, and however else you move and groove. All bodies are welcome. Are you ready to get moving? Guess what I am talking about today? It's feet and shoes, and bare feet, and I assume that you're not entirely surprised. Way before I wrote my two books on feet, which are Simple Steps to Foot Pain Relief and Whole Body Barefoot, I was working out feet and shoes and how they related to issues of the toes and knees, hips, and back on my blog, and these blog posts eventually became a chapter in Alignment Matters called Feet and Shoes and What Gets Stacked Onto Them. And it's kind of fun to read back on some of these essays because I can see myself working out various ideas on the whole barefoot slash minimal shoes movement that hadn't taken off then like it had now. It is still very counterculture, but I'd say it's less so 10 years later. And because so many have worked out the ideas beyond the kind of like very general barefoot natural throw away your shoes, it's got a stronger toehold now. Sorry. I just punned. Sorry. Sorry. Today's three essays that I'm going to read are all about feet. There's one that's sort of an overview of why bare feet slash minimal shoes, and it's interesting. Like I will still, when I post something on social media, I have been talking about shoes and bare feet for over a decade professionally to the masses And when I do a post with minimal shoes or foot exercises, there will still be, you know, new people to this material who are like, why does shoes matter? So as much as it seems like I've belabored the point, I don't think that I actually have when we consider how many people have feet and are trying to use their body to facilitate experiences that they'd like to have so we're going to do feet again so an overview of that hopefully will fill in some blanks for you new listeners out there there's an essay on bare feet and injuries and one on why i cut the footies off my kids footy pajamas when i'm done reading the essays i'm also going to share a quick state of my minimal footwear union 2018 in reading through some of the essays i was like oh I've just grown so much in foot movement and minimal shoe experience and understanding that it's kind of fun to look back on yourself 10 years later. Anyway, here we go. First essay. July 9th, 2010. If the shoe fits. Here's another article I wrote on foot slash pelvis slash balance. Are you bored yet? This one is from July's LA Yoga Magazine, and this must have been in 2010. Perhaps the most important piece of the article is the 60-40 rule of weight-bearing explained. Enjoy. If the Shoe Fits by Katie Bowman. That's me. After you've twisted, lunged, lengthened, and aligned, focused, prepared, repaired, and reset, you must get off the mat. The notion of bringing a yoga practice to the rest of your daily life, the part that takes place between classes, can improve personal relationships, success at work, and your shoe rack by improving your relationship with your feet. Postures that require grounding action in the feet, increased range of motion of the toes, full lengthening of the arch, are a a delicious part of any practice. These foot movements are both challenging and especially rich in sensation because of the sheer quantity of time we spend not using our feet. Quote, the human foot, according to Leonardo da Vinci, is a masterpiece of engineering and a work of art, end quote. Made up of 25% of the body's bones and muscles and articulating around 33 joints, our feet have the potential to subtly change shape at each joint, thus sending valuable information to the body's center of mass, located in the pelvis. The tiny stretches in between every one of the foot's 26 bones are a goldmine of proprioception that allows the pelvis to make three-dimensional positional adjustments. Optimal foot health, however, has been compromised in a very large way due to the heavy use of footwear over a lifetime. Different characteristics of various types of footwear have unique effects on physiology and mechanics. The limitations footwear places on motion of the foot, along with motion of the ankle, knee, hip, and sacrum, are not equal across all types of shoes. The healthiest footwear is one that interferes little with your natural body movements. Barefoot is best. It would be unfair to discuss footwear without clearly stating that optimal foot health is ultimately reached through full shoeless interaction between nature and foot. Foot health can become compromised, however, when you walk on unyielding man made surfaces that may or may not be speckled with broken glass and other dangerous items. Small doses of being barefoot, and wearing socks is okay too, can be done in your home. Just make sure that the jacks are picked up before you do. And I would also say Lego, right? minimalist footwear brands like vibram five fingers are also great options for using your feet before you go bearing at all keep in mind that the supporting structures of the feet have been for the most part inert the bulk of your life loading fresh arches on long walks after removing a lifetime of support can stress and strain tissues it is important to think about building strength in the musculature of the feet just as we would do any other part of your body Start with smaller doses of barefoot walking and make sure you do lots of foot stretching in between walking sessions. Pamper your feet, which will help them be happier as they cart you around. A coconut oil foot massage and non-toxic pedicure can be a mini vacation as Southern California heats up and dries out this summer. Eliminate the heel. Not quite ready to go au naturel? Shoes that closely mimic barefoot walking such as Earth Footwear's negative heel technology can really drive home the weight should be in your heel feeling. Podiatric journals have recently become riddled with articles illustrating that for every positive degree of heel, so for a point of reference, the 1 inch found on a man's dress shoe creates an average angle of 12 degrees, there is a resulting angle of deformation in the lumbar spine, pelvis, knees and or ankle. There is no footwear characteristic that jars one out of whole body alignment faster than the positive heel. If a dress shoe creates 12 positive degrees, just think of what a stiletto can do to deform the rest of the body. Pause and consider choosing well before selecting footwear that undoes all your hard work and increases mechanical stress on a cellular level. Spread the toes. Toe abduction, or a movement of the toes away from each other, is a normal part of healthy gait pattern years of carrying weight too far forward on the feet, wearing too small shoes as a kid, does anyone else out there live in hand-me-downs? And narrow toe boxes on certain shoe styles have really limited the toe spreading motion. Selecting footwear that provides ample room to display your toes when walking is the healthiest choice. Ideally, our toes should be able to spread just as the fingers do. If tight toes have become a habit... Foot alignment socks, and you can find those at myhappyfeet.com, or also there are non-sock toe spacers called Correctos, I can link to those in the show notes, can work on spreading them for you. The perfect product for the hardcore alignment freak, which is me, you can load muscle and fascial tissues while you sleep. Brilliant. Be attached to your shoes. It is surprising how quickly the flip-flop has moved beyond the favorite pool accessory to the ultimate fashion staple. In California, I totally get it. Although I think the New York professional scene may still be in shock. And I can just say, as an aside, as someone who's gone around and done a lot of press interviews on why bare feet and why flat shoes for like the New York health magazines, it is definitely regional, I would say, the acceptance of minimal shoes. Like there's just a different professional environment. Flip flops are still usually enjoyed for their lack of restriction. Lots of fresh air and minimal friction, and they're also time-friendly. You don't have time to find matching socks and bend down to tie your shoes. Flip-flop may be your guy. The only negative to this bikini of footwear is the fact that it doesn't stay on your foot without some major muscle clenching and bony alteration. Research on gait patterns and poorly attached shoes demonstrates increased risk for hammer toes, plantar fasciitis, and knee pain. I say keep your favorite flops around for water and beach activities and invest in a newer Roman-style sandal that offers the same open-air feel but with better binding. Weight in your feet. Where is the best place to carry the weight in your feet for optimal foot health? The oft-given instruction for correct weight-bearing in the foot usually cites the 60-40 rule, which is widely misinterpreted as 60% of the body's weight back in the heel and 40% towards the front of the foot. This weight distribution, however, is not actually correct, and the reason comes down to the actual scientific definitions of commonly used terminology. So the term weight means the result of the vertical force, gravity, acting on the body's mass. So in order to achieve a 60-40 weight distribution, your center of mass would have to shift forward, removing the plumb alignment of the hips, knees, and ankles. This forward motion creates Torque not only on the ankle, but also on the lower spine and sacroiliac joints. The optimal place to carry one's body weight is actually toward the center of the heel bone. Keeping the weight of the pelvis over the ankle joint is the only way to ensure a straight leg and a healthy lumbar curve. However, having 100% of your weight over your heel does not mean that the front of the foot is inactive. With the pelvis centered on a plumb line relative to the ankles, The forefoot, which is the front of the foot, but not the toes, can now actively press into the ground. So the action of backing up the hips to ground the heels while simultaneously pressing the forefoot into the ground creates an active force-generating interaction with the earth. This is so much better for the body than passively thrusting the hips forward. An effective yoga practice is one that improves one's mindfulness, not only on the mat, but for the countless choices one has to make every day. When you understand the impact your shoes can have not only on your feet, but on your entire body, then choosing mindfully means selecting the footwear or lack of footwear that is most appropriate for your highest goals for yourself. When I envision my highest goals, healthy feet, knees, hips, and spine are always in the picture for as long as I'm going to be using this body. That doesn't mean you won't catch me in flip-flops when I'm down by the beach in Maui. It just means that every step I take will honor the works of arts that I am stepping on. So just to recap, kind of the big takeaway of the 60-40, it's kind of confusing when I (laughs) when I read my own terrible writing. If you take your body weight and distribute it between the front of your foot, it's like a passive distribution. If I let my hips go way out in front of me, I can say that I can read on a pressure sensor underneath my foot that I've got a certain amount of pressure in the back of my heel and a certain amount of pressure in the front. Or I'm I've, I've carrying my weight distributed over both feet. So again, what you're reading is the ground. You're reading the ground's response to what's on top of it. But if I back my heels up, I've got all my weight over my heels now, which means I've got this, I'm using more musculature to hold me up actively in this case, the front of my foot is still pressing down into the ground, which means I can have pressure in the front and the back of my foot, meaning even with my weight entirely over my heel, I still have pressure in the front of my foot, but that pressure is active meaning I am plantar flexing. That's the motion of pointing your toes. I'm pointing my toes into the ground, which means the front of my foot is active in the ground. So if I'm reading the sensor beneath my feet, there is still pressure in the front of my foot when my hips are all the way backed up. It's just that I had to get that actively via using my calves. So when my weight's back in my heels, the front of my foot is actively pressing down, so I've got a lot of work in my glutes, and my hamstrings, and my calves versus that same distribution of weight between the front and the back of my leg gotten by simply shifting my weight all the way forward to the front of my foot. So sometimes there's different ways of getting the same measure. You want more weight in the back of your foot than the front, but I can get that through action versus getting it passively. I'm not sure if that makes it any more clear, but I'm glad we had this conversation. Okay, essay two. Barefoot, not just for adults. This is from July 11th, 2011. Yesterday, my niece stepped on her first nail. She survived. And I know she survived because I got this text from my sister, quote, survived Ray's first nail through foot. She is doing fine, end quote. And then I texted, yay, just like mama. Only I have an iPhone, so it auto-corrected it to just like mana. Because everybody knows that the word mana is more popular than the word mama. And then she texted back dada. And I'm not sure why. Did her husband step on a nail too as a kid? Did one of her 47 kids have the phone? Had she forgotten when she stepped on her first nail? So I texted, no, you did that too. I remember the very moment. And I did too. She was about nine and on the phone, probably talking to a boy when she shifted her weight forward onto a piece of wood with a nail in it. Ah, I was just reading this. I'm like, bam. And here's the funny thing. She didn't hang up the phone. No, I remember she was trying to keep the conversation going with stuff about how she had a nail in her foot. She really liked talking on the phone. And she remembered too, because then she texted yes. And then she wrote barefoot in the apple hut. Only here's the thing. She wasn't barefoot. She was wearing black keds. And I remember because when they pulled the nail out of the foot slash shoe, the shoe filled up with blood. It was cool. Probably because it wasn't my foot. And so then I texted back, no, you weren't barefoot. It went through your shoe and you were on the phone. And when I read my text, I can see why my little sister thinks I was bossy as a kid. Only as a kid, right sis? Plus, texting always makes me sound like I'm 12. And then she texted back, hurt like a mother. And then I texted, I bet. And then we stopped texting because, one, I have a new baby and a whole bunch of other stuff I should be doing. Two, she has 67 kids and a whole bunch of other stuff she should be doing. Three, we are over 35 now, and why are we even texting in the first place? So let's talk for a second about the barefoot movement. In a nutshell, feet weren't designed to be in shoes any more than hands were designed to be in mittens. Our cultural habit of wearing shoes has left us with affluent ailments, osteoarthritis, osteoporosis, knee-hip-back pain, bunions, at much higher percentages than unshod populations. And you don't have to be a genius, but you might be, to go, yeah, I get it. With kids, it's even more important that they get abundant barefoot time because the proper development of natural gait patterns and deep body stabilization depends on the super-sophisticated feedback systems that come from the nerves sensing the ground and the brain. This happens in two ways. One, there are nerves that interpret the shape of the ground by how the bones and the feet bend at 33 different points or joints. This creates like a mental image in the brain, similar to how a dolphin uses sonar to avoid obstacles. Wearing shoes prevents any motion in these joints, except at the ankle, and leaves the shoe wearer kind of blind to the environment. This is what makes stiff shoes the worst when it comes to natural development. And P.S. This goes for adults, too. Two, there are nerves that are sensing other things about the environment, things like temperature and terrain. And these nerves, designed to convey abundant information, are now stuck just reading the inside of your shoes. And what is that environment like? Damp and smooth? Ew. The more you expose these nerves to the same input over and over, the more their information gets put on autopilot into a part of your nervous system called an interneuron. And here's more about the interneuron. You know how you walk into a room with freshly baked pie and it smells delicious, but after a few minutes, you don't smell it anymore. Your brain moves the information that is constant into a different part of your brain to free it up for other things so that the more similar your environment, the less your nerves work to perceive, and the less they work, the less healthy they are. This is why it's important for everyone, not just kids, to walk on different terrain, on a different path, in different weather, carrying different weights, wearing different shoes, eating different food. Habits are not great for biology. Anyhow, this is why everyone, kids do, need lots of time to feel with their feet. Make the house a no-shoe zone and encourage exploration of different areas sans footwear. I brought up the -the nail-in-the-foot conversation because, yes, accidents happen. But in the case of my sister and her little girl, they were wearing shoes. Wearing shoes doesn't prevent the few foot catastrophes that happen, and wearing shoes only teaches kids how to pay less attention to what's going on beneath their feet. Now, that's not to say there aren't going to be places where kids need shoes. And when they do, here are a few suggestions. One, select super flexible shoes with no heels. My favorite company for better kids' footwear is Softstar Shoes. Keep in mind, shoes get expensive, and it's important not to let kids wear shoes that are too small This is where toe curling habits get started. So before you run out to the store right now, two, don't buy fancy shoes in the summer. Kids will grow a lot this season and will probably not fit into their shoes at the end of the season. Summer is also the best time to be barefoot, so maximize barefoot time right now. The best footwear is actually, and I'm not kidding, a swim shoe. They're lightweight and flexible, breathable and super inexpensive. Get your kids a pair at the beginning of the summer to supplement their barefoot time and donate them once they're too short. Maybe even get the next size up while they're available for fall if you live in a temperate climate. Swim shoes are much better than flip-flops for the gait changes that we do to keep flip-flops on as they really mess with the natural gait pattern. And here's an interesting note. Some neurologists will often recommend wearing swim shoes year-round for kids with any sort of neurological delay as it improves neurological function of the feet for better gait, which is a walking pattern development. So why only improve the gait of some kids? Let's do it all, shall we? Three, play foot detective games. Having your kids in their bare feet? Try having them guess various objects by using their feet only. The more the textures vary, wet, smooth, sandpaper, yoga mat, carpet, wood, the more the game will challenge their sensory nerves. Four, have a little foot massage time before going to bed. Just like book reading, add a five-minute rub into the bedtime tasks. Skin-on-skin touch will help stimulate the movement of each foot joint, increasing circulation of the foot's issues. And P.S., touch is just so great. What I like about this one is, again, we talk about sedentary culture. I do think there's a strong relationship between sedentary culture and safety, where we've kind of gotten rid of lots of movement for our health, ironically. And that comes from a model where we only see the consequences of accidents and not really the benefits of movement. They haven't been spelled out. So it's not always easy to make a very strong pro-con list about like going barefoot. Like if, that's a lot of likes, sorry, I'm from California. If your only item on a list of should I go barefoot or not are the injuries or the dangers and you're not super clear on the, I guess the chances of those dangers, then it's easy to perceive being barefoot as something that's very dangerous, risky, has no benefit whatsoever. But when you add the pros to the barefoot list, which involve like movement, and it's not just movement of the feet itself, but really the ability to engage in more complex environments, just moving. That's not even to say All of the other benefits that have come out about barefoot and nature and that exchange. Like there's more and more, I would say, coming all of the time to pay attention to. So just I include that one specifically because there is a relationship between what you do to protect yourself and sometimes a loss of skill. So when everyone is worn shoes for a very, very long time and has never been taught to pay attention to their feet or what they walk on, it kind of creates a culture where there's a certain disconnect between, I mean, there's a loss of the skill, frankly, for barefoot, but then there's just kind of a lack of awareness overall. And then therefore you're more likely perhaps to not be as invested in keeping an area clean or garbage free, or you won't be as mindful as where you let your animal go to the bathroom because it hadn't occurred to you that you are sharing space with other people that might want to be using their body in a different way than what you've chosen. I've been reading a lot and and watching a lot of work about bureaucratic land management (BLM's) way of managing multi-use spaces when there's different animals and different needs shared by a particular space. So, as someone who likes to go barefoot a lot, I would say I'm super mindful about how I use my space when I'm not barefoot. So, I don't know. I included that because I think that. There's the idea, if you just keep your shoes on, everything's going to be all right. And I don't know if that's the case.
1: If you're into podcasts, it's likely you love the audio format. If you like listening to Katie read from her book, Alignment Matters, you should know she has three audiobooks, and she is willing to read them to you anytime you want. All you need is an audible account, a device with speakers, and a willing ear. Here's a little from Katie's foot health-focused book, whole body barefoot.
0: Wearing minimal shoes without creating or prolonging injury and disease can require hundreds of steps, pun intended, along the way. Our lives are crazy busy, and we like things to be laid out for us in simple steps. But this current culture of reducing necessary steps for health to 5 foods, 5 exercises, 5 minutes a day lists means that important physiological guidelines get ignored in favor of being published in a magazine or on a website. I've been asked to create this kind of list many times, and yes, I've done it. Unfortunately, despite being initially helpful, a short list leaves out much of the work necessary to make meaningful health changes. In the case of the trendy move towards minimal shoes, where many hopped right in without doing any transitional work along the way, the result was an inevitable backlash when the shoes didn't work like they were supposed to. Minimal shoes, with their stated or implied ability to provide some health benefit to the wearer while performing an athletic endeavor, are surrounded by controversy. Without data on long-term users of footwear that is without support or cushioning, many medical practitioners have worried about injury. Minimal shoe companies and barefoot running proponents have argued that being barefoot is natural and therefore barefoot shoes must be good. What has been clear to me, as someone who works to disseminate complex scientific information to lay people without destroying its accuracy, is that much of this disagreement boils down to semantics and broad generalizations. And so, this book. As with most arguments, when you examine this one closely, both sides are right and wrong. Research shows that minimal shoes are not safe for everyone in every situation, but research also shows that conventional shoes wreak their own havoc on the body. The element that seems to be missing from the argument is that shoes don't exist in a vacuum. Shoes and feet are in a relationship with the user and the environment, which means the physical outcome of the body that wears the shoes depends on the state of the wearer's foot, body alignment, gait patterns, frequency of movement, and most frequented terrain. A shoe can't be a problem or a solution in and of itself, and if we are going to determine what constitutes optimal footwear, we need to consider what's going on throughout the user's body and life.
1: And it's not just Katie's trademark humor, compassion, and straightforward approach to movement science that you'll get with each audiobook. You'll also get...
0: I've said it time and time again, check your PDF! Make your mother happy and just check your PDF. (laughs) If, for example, you tend to walk, if you tend to, you know, if you tend to do something, again, California. unduck your feet. Quack, quack, quack. (laughs) I am so lame. Okay, hold on. I hear you knocking, but you can't come in. (laughs)
1: That's right. Each of Katie's audiobooks includes several glorious minutes of her bloopers. And you can find the whole Body Barefoot audiobook on Audible. And this audiobook comes with a downloadable exercise PDF so you will get the full experience. Hear this. Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. You can download any audiobook of your choosing by going to audibletrial.com moveyourdna with Katie Bowman. To download your free audiobook today, remember, go to audibletrial.com moveyourdna with Katie Bowman. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash dna with Katie Bowman for your free audiobook. And now, back to your regularly scheduled programming with Katie Bowman.
0: Kid pajamas, off with the feet. That's from December 14th, 2011. This morning I cut all the feet off the boy's pajamas. I couldn't take it anymore. He was already shoe and sock free most of the time, but every morning I had to watch him lose traction on the linoleum, or falter when walking because the grip between the floor and his feety pajamas was too much. I'm not a big crafty lady, but give me some scissors and a math equations and I'm there. Feety pajamas minus feety equal pajamas. If you have a kid, you've probably witnessed the way each of their fingers move in a slow yet definite manner when the child is trying to pick up an object, big or small, Kids are working hard to wire their muscles to their brain, and to do this, they need full use of their sensory and motor nerves. Footy pajamas allow foot movement, but they completely minimize the ability for the foot skin to read the environment, and this data, when collected, helps establish a relationship between the foot and every other body part that can last a lifetime. The feet have the same amount of motor potential as the hands, yet we don't think much about slapping on a big fuzzy slipper when babies are learning their very first movements. This is why we all have the foot problems we do, and this is why my foot writing is distinctively less impressive than my handwriting, and to be fair, my handwriting is not great. In children, motor programs are being set every day, and it is very, very hard to undo the deepest, read earliest, motor programs we acquire. If kids take their first steps in socks on a slippery floor, they'll tense a bunch of extra muscles, and that gets put into their walking mental file. And if you want to try it, put on some fuzzy socks while on hardwood or check out how you tense various parts of your body when negotiating an icy part of your sidewalk. Bracing against slipping is a reflex, and what you don't want a child to do is learn bracing and put it into their walking file. This kind of overrides their natural reflex for gait development. Even if your kid isn't slipping about the place, putting a wrapper around one of the most sensitive parts of the human body has a nerve-deadening and muscle-atrophying effect. Would you put mittens on someone trying to learn the piano or force a baby to wear gloves when they're trying to pick a tiny pea up off the floor? Of course not. These seem ridiculous, yet we cover up a child's foot without thinking about it. Isn't that weird? At our house, we don't have a lot of clothing with feet, obviously, but I kept putting the boy in pajamas with feet to keep him warmer. Boo. Off with my head. I mean my feet. His little tootsies are perfectly warm under the covers, and we go barefoot in the house, as does he, and plus... It's kind of fun to cut up stuff. Aversion to cutting up perfectly good clothing for the sake of a child's brain development is strange, isn't it? We're a weird breed. So I get a lot of emails after posting stuff like this, and I know you like to read some of the emails that make their way to my inbox, and these are slightly exaggerated, but trust me, I get a lot of stuff like this. Dear Katie, I just read your blog post on letting babies go without socks or covered or covered feet. It's very cold where we live. We live in an igloo, actually. There is no floor, just snow. And I really want to make sure my child's feet develop properly. So do you think that he should be barefoot, even though, as I said, the floor is below freezing? I'd appreciate any help in figuring this one out. And I really like your blog. Dear Katie, I love your blog. Thanks for writing such helpful information. I just read your post on letting babies go without socks or covered feet, and I'm sure what to do at our house, though, and I'm hoping you can help me figure it out. I am a mosaic artist and my husband is a carpenter. We live in a hardware store that has nails instead of regular flooring. And in between those nails are huge shards of glass from my pieces. And I really want to make sure my child's feet develop properly. So do you think that they should be barefoot even though our house is very dangerous for bare feet? What would you suggest? Thanks again. I know you're very busy. I just can't figure this one out. So here's where I'm going to jump in as Katie in 2018. I don't write this sarcastically anymore, which does not mean that I don't get these emails still that are... Actually, not that different from this. My point with adding this is I have been deemed an expert, maybe even by you doing the listening because you're interested in what I say, but you also have common sense. I know you do. And obviously, anything that puts someone at risk greatly needs to be dealt with. At the same time, hopefully, you've been armed through listening or reading with tools that help you categorize things more nuanced than risky or not risky. So anyway, I'm just going to jump back in to my blog post, which just ends with, I suggest any concerned ones out there that use your common sense. If your feet can be bare, so can your kids. Now, if I could only figure out what to do with all these pajama feet. Okay. I promised you, a current state of the union about my minimal footwear exploration. So in reading through a lot of my posts, I wore Vibram Five Fingers early on and they were great. There's a couple articles where I really explore the effect that going barefoot on very, very textured terrain slate for a long, long distance, like that was the last time I ever experienced menstrual cramping. It was a huge shift for me, but I haven't worn Vibrams since I moved from California where it's very dry to the Pacific Northwest where it's very wet because that type of shoe doesn't work well for me here. I just had a couple of questions saying, oh, I never see you in Vibrams anymore. And it really is because one, it's too wet here to wear them comfortably. And two, if it's dry enough to be in them, I'm just happier usually in bare feet, but I'm on natural terrain quite a bit. So I guess that's the overall theme to understand is I don't do a ton of cement walking. I always have the option of the grass to the side. I live in a pretty rural area and I've answered on the podcast many times before. like if you work all day on cement and a hundred percent of your moving experience is on cement, then you have to use that common sense to say, okay, I still want flat, I still want a wide toe box, but I'm going to need a cushion because I am on terrain that is harder than kind of that natural relationship between the foot and and nature it's it's just kind of like one monotonous hard load over and over and over again. So again that's a common sense thing. What I wear now primarily is two pairs of sandals, earth runners and unshoes. those are the shoes that I've worn any fair weather and that can be you know as all through fall as well and I can pair it with a pair of socks. I'll just wear their sandals. Miles and miles and miles. I have a pair of Vivo barefoot shoes that I wear, as I've noted before in some of my other blog posts on long distance walking. I wear those because they're waterproof, they're flat, they're flexible. When I do long, long distance, it's usually on the harder paved trail. So I like the little bit of extra cushion, as I just noted. This summer, I wore a soft star, I think they're Phoenix boots for the snow. And my favorite kind of like fall, I want to be warm, but it's not super, super wet. I will wear my mini Tonka moccasin boots. And for the last two years, three years, I have been able to just treat those. So I just make a kind of a beeswax, water repellent, pair them with really thick wool socks and do a lot of my hiking, even in the wet, even in the snow in those. I'll also use my Softstar boots similarly the softer boots they're not as fluid for longer distance walking i find them to be kind of heavier on my foot so i'll, I'll grab my minute my um, mini tonkas and they will be soaked by the end of you know a four or five hour excursion but my feet are warm it's kind of like a wetsuit effect where the water has come in and it's in my wool sock but everything is warm so i don't mind it being wet for that period of time so that's the current state of the union around here my kids wore my Mayu kind of weather resistant. That's their their rain boots, but they're not a rain boot in the sense of, you know, a thick plastic. They're just great, super flexible outside. They've worn soft stars this fall. And Vivo Barefoot has a really great summer shoe, which is it's very porous. It's almost like a, a net or a web. And those have been really great for travel and for when it's warm enough to be barefoot, but they don't want to be barefoot. They are free to choose barefoot or shod and I'm always surprised how how they choose and their choices really have nothing to do with their parents choices they just have they get whims based on when and where they want to wear shoes so that's that's how things are going right now I'd love to hear about your footwear choices but I am on social media break by the time this comes out I will not be back until September my friends so If you haven't signed up for my newsletter, please do that because I still send something out weekly. We have new exercise challenges going out in kind of an image-based email and I have my Vitamin Community Monthly that just went out for the first time. You can check out my live events page on my website because for those of you who are in the Pacific Northwest, Washington specifically, or if you don't mind coming over from Victoria, Canada or up from Portland, a hiking awareness Outside, kind of dynamic lecture where we're going to be moving through some wilderness, and I'll be showing some modifications, adjustments of moving and carrying and gait. And I'll be with Donaga Markagard, who wrote Donnegan. I interviewed her on my podcast earlier this year. She's going to be talking about using using your senses differently than maybe you're used to using them. So we talked before about that idea of when you're barefoot, when you're unshod you pay more attention because you have to. And I'm all very much about movement, permaculture, this idea of stacked movement. My husband and I play this game. It might be kind of weird. We go out hiking and we will take turns. There's a couple loops that we hike and we will take turns hiding from the other one. Like One will run ahead and do the loop. And so you'll come through and you win If the person walks past you and didn't see you, when I play that game, I have to take off my shoes. If I have jackets tied around my waist or hats on my head, even if it's cold, I have to take a lot of that stuff off to like really see with more than my eyes, which I find through doing more and more outside time. And that's not because I'm I'm not going out to hunt or track. I am safer outside when I am aware. But now everything's about safety. I am more engaged with my surroundings when I am more aware, but sometimes in order to become more aware reflexively, I have to strip off a lot of these protections that I've put on that are protections in some way and can be sensory depriving in other ways. So kind of the things that I was talking about a little bit today, we will be embodying family-friendly events, various ability event if you want to participate but you're not sure if it will be accessible please reach out to us we make as many adjustments to our events as possible so for example we have someone coming to a retreat that includes a walk they're not able to do the walking portion so we've just set it up where they can ride a bike through the walking portion so always feel free to reach out if you'd like to attend something and you're not sure if we can adjust it we make any possible adjustments. Okay. And with that, I just want to say thanks everyone. For more information, you can visit nutritiousmovement.com and sign up for my newsletter. If you have a question or if there's something you'd like to know, email podcast at nutritiousmovement.com. If you enjoy listening to Move Your DNA, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps other listeners decide whether they should take a chance on this podcast. And on behalf of everyone at Move Your DNA and Nutritious Movement, Thank you for listening. We appreciate your support. Have a good time out there, friends.
1: This has been Move Your DNA with Katie Bowman, a podcast about movement. Hopefully you find the general information in this podcast informative and helpful, but it is not intended to replace medical advice and should not be used as such.